again, everybody. Greg Thompson back with you here on the exit ramp from Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo. Oh, man, the sounds of summer. Whether you're heading to the beach with the sun, sand, and surf, and a great Dick Dale guitar instrumental in tow, or you're heading to a national park, or a baseball stadium, or just into the woods with a book, summer calls us to take some time and recharge. And as you guys know, in today's world, especially with the demands of the trucking industry and your role in moving the American economy, it can sometimes be hard to find time to take a break. So here's the deal. Taking that breather, finding the time to get away and recharge will be our topic of the day on this edition of The Exit Ramp. Jimmy Mack, the host of Dave Nemo Weekends, your Weekend 34, inspired the subject for this exit ramp with his shows this weekend. And Jimmy will be joining us here on the exit ramp along with Long Haul Paul. You'll get to hear some great stories from Jimmy and Long Haul Paul about their favorite vacations when they were kids and some valuable observations about the importance of finding the time to take even small breaks from a daily grind. So let's get to it, folks. Let's take the time to get on the exit ramp from Podwheels, powered by Radio Nemo. Well, first of all, I don't know if you guys got a chance to hear it, but today's guest really kind of added something to the weekend show in a way that I wasn't expecting. So we had this marvelous book about Revolutionary War privateers, Dolan's book. It's so good, by the way. I can't recommend it highly enough, but it reminded me one of the things about taking a vacation, which was the topic of today's show. I'm joined with my friends Craig Thompson and Long Haul Paul, who actually is on the road as we speak. Good morning to you both. Good morning. One of the things that I just thought was so remarkable about it was that by the time I was done talking with Eric, Eric Dolan, I wanted to go on an adventure. And I think we often forget that a lot of people often view vacation as rest and relaxation at last. There's this great Bugs Bunny cartoon where Elmer Fudd is trying to go on vacation and Bugs Bunny simply won't let him rest. And the recurring line is, West and we waxation at last. We always think about that in regards to people. Orson Welles had a great line one time where he said that Americans confuse holiday and vacation because we have so little vacation time. Too many of us, when we think about vacation, all we think about is resting, or we think about sitting on a beach and doing nothing, or we think about actually going and finding a rock in the woods and kind of just sitting there and meditating or contemplating, is that we tend to focus on the reset, the re-energizing, the vacating, the kind of purging ourselves of all the stuff that happened while we're at the work and the daily grind. And I was reminded by Eric Dolan's book and the conversation that we often forget about the sense of adventure. And I don't just mean like a Peter Stark adventure where you're climbing mountains or headed down the gang. But the idea of going to a battlefield or going to a historical monument or actually touring a city and checking out their museums and so many people, particularly in this line of work, Paul, they don't take real vacations. They take relaxations and rest. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's only about a sixth or seventh or an eighth of the component about what a vacation should really be. So I was curious in regards to the people who function on the road. I'd love to get your thoughts on what a vacation means to somebody who actually is a long haul trucker. That's so interesting. And Whenever we talk, you get me all wound up because you get you evoke so many memories. But I'm thinking about the vacations I took with my dad a lot this week from a very poignant point of view. My dad is a Notre Dame grad, class of 52, and he attended his 70th reunion last week. Both he and our mother came home with COVID. He is twice vaxxed and boosted and seems to be doing pretty well, but he's 92. So you begin to reflect on all these Keystone events. My mother and father never flew the same commercial jet. They 
they always flew separately just because my grandfather had been killed in a plane accident. But the only time they broke this rule is if my dad was flying because he had his own twin prop plane that was the company plane. And my first memory as a child ever, I was four years old. My dad was caught in a thunderstorm in Georgia and my mother was literally singing Kumbaya to the children. For my memory, it was such a blissful event. It was almost like this out-of-body experience. We landed in Savannah and drove the rest of the way to Florida, and my dad never flew us again anywhere in a plane. But when my parents took us on a vacation, they had this itinerary, and that itinerary meant hitting all these Civil War sites. It meant going everywhere. And you did not, you did not breach the itinerary. And one time we took that wonderful train in Colorado, a Silverton train. And the next day we were on our way to Mesa Verde, but we got food poisoning from the ice cream there. And by God, we were going to make Mesa Verde. My dad was a Marine officer and we were going to make Mesa Verde one way or the other. And we were all like hanging out of the station wagon, vomiting, bound for Mesa Verde because there were sights to see that you were never going to see again. So we would tell these stories as adults. And I called my dad, Mr. Itinerary. So I vowed if I ever take a vacation, I'm just going to completely veg out. But later in life, I found a happy medium between trying to do cool things. That's such an interesting quote from Orson Welles, where confusing holiday with vacation, because you don't want to just do nothing on your vacation when there's so many cool things to see in the world. It's interesting. I'll turn this over to Greg in a second. In Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises, they both go on vacation and holiday, and he actually has separate chapters. The famous part of the book is they all go to Pamplona to run with the bulls. We're all going to go run with the bulls, get ourselves shit-faced, and then we're going <laughs> to run with the bulls and be sad about what happened in World War One. But before they do that, there is an entire chapter where he and his friend Bill, they head out towards the Spanish wilderness so they can go fishing in some rivers. They can do some fishing, and they can go admire the mountains. And there is this whole thing of them just as two guys. They ride the train out there, and then they get to the little small town, and then they go fishing. And that's before they head into Pamplona to meet their friends to all be a part of the San Fermin Festival. And it's such a clear kind of demarcation. How many people literally will go on their first day of vacation and collapse in a bed and then lose the whole first day of vacation? And I don't think that's a problem. If the first day on vacation, you go to the hotel room or the Airbnb or wherever you stay in, and you take a nice warm shower, and maybe you read a couple of chapters from a book or a magazine, or maybe you just do some kind of contemplative stuff. I always I always feel like with a vacation that if you have a hard plan at the top, you can then soften into the relaxation later. But I feel like if you go in there and you simply physically and emotionally collapse, it ends up squandering any opportunities you have to do any kind of self-evaluation or re-energization. Greg, I'm going to turn this over to you because I'm getting all philosophical. You've got a couple of great stories about vacation, don't you? Absolutely. And I want to play off of Paul. Paul, your dad and my dad need to meet. My dad's 85 now. Talked to him last night. And next Sunday will be Father's Day. But really, if you want to think about it, next week should be a celebration of Father's Day all week. And when I think about my dad and your dad, my dad was very regimented about that itinerary thing. He was also somebody that if there was an opportunity, like we had a cabin on the lake 
he built the cabin from the ground up. Then he got a ski boat. The best time to ski during the week was early in the morning. And at that time, I was 13 or 14 years old. It was almost like Apocalypse Now. Soldier, do you want to surf or do you want to fight? And it was like <laughs> the water was like glass. I mean, my dad knew. He had a plan all the time. The greatest vacation that we took happened 43 years ago around this time. My dad pulled my brother and sister out of school like a week early. My school got out on time. I was 17, just finished junior year of high school, 1979. And we left from our home in St. Paul, Minnesota, and went out west all the way to Victoria Island and made a right ah. turn at Victoria Island and went across Canada. Now, in between, we saw Mount Rushmore, we saw the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone and did that in three days because my dad had it planned. We were going and we saw some amazing stuff. But one of the things I'm most proud about during that trip, and we all piled into a 1979 Chevy Vendura. It had the shag carpets, the captain seats. It was an awesome ride. And in fact, when I got married 10 years later, that's the vehicle that took my wife and I from the church to the reception in the back. Anyway, so get back to the big trip that was like 4,400 miles, 20 days. And along the road, I think between Rushmore and Yellowstone, my brother and I had seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind, maybe three, four months before. And we knew that Devil's Tower was out there but it was off route. And Paul, you know, if you try to ask somebody like your dad or my dad to go <laughs> off route, oh my God. But it was like the Simpsons episode of Flash Waterfalls. We gotta go to Devil's Tower. We did do it. He said, okay. And so we went and my dad was like amazed. You see it in the movie, but they able to walk around that. But to see that was amazing. But to see Seattle, we saw a baseball game in the Kingdom. Victoria Island was beautiful. Vancouver was beautiful. Went to Banff, Lake Louise, went to Calgary. And to your point, Jimmy, we had a museum to go to that had different floors that had like a geological display, medieval arms. And to this day, in fact, we talked about it last night. It was a lovely part of our conversation. I had with my parents who are both God willing going to turn 85 this year. I just want to add one thing. <laughs> That smell, that chlorine pool smell, it smells like victory. That's I, right, I, I, yeah. <laughs> you brought up Apocalypse Now and the idea that it's like these people who, it's so interesting because both of you guys have mentioned this. And I've always wondered about the World War II guys, the Korean guys. And I've been thinking about this recently, is that we have to remember too when it comes to World War II, when it comes to Korea, a lot of those men, people say they went off for the greatest generation and I believe that. But there's also something else about them too. Remember their options were you could die in a dust bowl in Kansas where you can die in a spitfire over the sea of Japan. And at that point, the options become very, very easy because one of them is offering free hots and a cot. And so many of those men gained meaning in their lives. People forget the military, for all the people that went off and served in those wars, the military not only gave them meaning, but for many of them, it gave them three square meals a day. For many of them, it introduced them to people they never would have met. It gave them real purpose and structure. And for many of them, went on believing that the reason they survived the combat, that they survived conflict, was because of that structure and was because of that sort of Mr. Itinerary <laughs> attitude that you're going to be where you got to be on time and when you got to be there and that's how it's got to play itself out and it's a matter of life and death
bad. And I do feel like I wonder how many of those people were taking people through the paces, not because they were martinets and not because they were cruel, but simply because this saved my life and it'll save yours too. So we're going to do what we have to do and we're going to get where we have to go. And if there's any enjoyment to be had, it's going to happen on the in-betweens. But the agenda gets followed. I think it carried forward into the 70s and then in the 80s. And until finally, you begin to see the beginnings of what I call the return of wander culture. When you actually get a little bit of leeway and room enough, people begin to rebel against their parents. Say, you know what? I'm just going to take a moment here. We're going to stay a little bit longer at the Grand Canyon. I'm actually going to see what is down this trail over here. Hey, (laughs) did did you see down the block, guys, there's a bookstore? I want to go check that out. And I realize the museum exhibit opens up at 11 this morning. We can be a little bit late for that. Let's look at the bookstore. Let's go check that out. But at the same time, to hear you both talk, I wonder how many people can't claim as many memories because they got stuck in their own thoughts wandering down a different path. And we all tell people, wander down the different path. It's the Walden (laughs) way. But at the same time, there's something to be said about actually following the schedule and getting to where you have to go. It's just interesting to hear that because my grandfather's, my dad's dad, you know the whole thing, if you're not early, if you're not 10 minutes early, you're late. Right. Lombardi time. Yeah, exactly. Lombardi time. My papa, we used to joke, if you're not parked in a car 30 minutes before the party starts down the block, then you're really late for the party. I mean, literally, he would sit there and the moment the clock hit the time for the party, he would get out the car and start walking towards the door. People knew if they invited my dad's father to a party and you said the party started at six, you would have to tell him seven because he would be there at 5.59 and 59 seconds. I know folks like that. And that's the thing is in how you approach vacation and Paul, I wanted to ask you, because you're a professional driver, but you're also a musician. You've got lots of different things going on. How do you get away from things? Well, we became sort of like beach house people. So I was not raised poor, but I got to it as quickly as I could as an adult. We had kids very early. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. I knew that our options for vacations were limited. And I'm thinking about this a lot this week, how fortunate I was to have the extended family I have because it was a semi-annual event. Everyone would pitch in towards a beach house, a huge beach house on the Carolina coast. Sometimes it was Emerald Island. Sometimes it was on the Outer Banks, places like Waves. And usually my dad would pay the lion's share and the kids would pitch in. I had good years in trucking. I had bad years in trucking. Sometimes I could pitch in my part. Sometimes my siblings covered for me. And these were our vacations. We would get there on Sunday and vacate on Saturday. There would be the board games and my sisters were the great planners. One is a librarian, one's a teacher. So they would have field trips to museums for us. There's a wonderful balance of structure and free time. But what I did was I bought a brand new Western Star with two bunks because I knew my kids would never get a chance to know me had I done anything different. Anna and I went to Graceland one day, but it was too crowded because there's a special event. So we saw a butterfly exhibit. I took John to the Petrified Forest. We try to work things in while trucking. And all of them concluded, I'd better get a college education because I was a produce hauler. Life was difficult. I mean, there was a lot of work and not a lot of sleep. So it had sort of an antithetical effect. None of them followed me into the trucking trade and all of them decided to get some secondary education and make their lives better. And at the same time, they got a real appreciation for what you do, how you do it, and a major part of your life. Yeah, I'm very grateful. 
I'm not as close as I wish I was with my adult children, but we still see each other. But I'm not one of those parents that talks to their children every day, three times a day. I kind of envy those parents that have that with their kids, but we love seeing all of them now in our semi-retirement. We're trying to really get caught up with all of them. I think it was a good window for them to see. They saw a lot of stuff from the camp of that Western star. So, Jimmy, let me ask you, during the show today, one of the things I loved was you talked to so many drivers about what they like to do. As a kid, what is your most memorable vacation? I just think folks would find that to be interesting. It's such a tough question, and I kind of made a mention of this either yesterday or today on the show. So we had a really strange thing happen. So my dad comes back from Vietnam. He's an attorney. He's a JAG. Comes back from the war, he moves back to New Orleans, and of course, because he's a veteran, despite the fact that he graduated extraordinarily high both in college and in law school, he's having a heck of a time finding a job beyond the DA's office where he works at Juvenile Hall. So they've got this growing family, and they don't have a lot of money. We didn't get a lot of opportunities growing up other than like a lot of family reunion stuff, a lot of visiting my mom's brothers and sisters who didn't always live in state or lived on the other side of the state over in Lafayette, New Iberia, or lived in Midland, Texas during the oil boom. In the blink of an eye, though, this gets crazy. In the blink of an eye, my father goes from working as a assistant DA over in Juvenile Hall, and then he starts working in Texaco as uh, an attorney. So you guys know, of course, especially in the 70s, it was still a time when people had job parties. Remember job parties? You got a better job or you got a good job and you threw a big party. And I realized that, of course, is a depression tradition that simply lingered around. But I remember him getting that job. And I remember that first Christmas. And I always make a joke, speaking of close encounters, I remember... I remember going to see Close Encounters right before Christmas, and I remember that my mom and my dad allowed me to have not just popcorn and a Coke, but popcorn, Coke, and M&Ms. I didn't understand why I got everything and didn't have to ask. It just got it. And then, of course, Christmas morning showed up. And usually you got two to three things on the list of 10 you put together and then some other stuff that you needed. And I remember that Christmas morning getting seven out of the 10 things I asked for. And some of the stuff I didn't ask for, other relatives gave. And the thing I remember most about it was that that next year, we finally got to go somewhere. Not to go visit family and friends, but we actually got to go to Biloxi, to the Broadmoor Hotel, which had this amazing... This is like that old-time Gulf Coast hotel. It had like one of those triple or quadruple-decker pools where one pool, water falls into the next pool, water falls into the next pool, into a slide, which goes into the next pool. And it was a really kind of fancy-pants place. And I remember going there, and it was like the first time they had water slides out there, too. Like I said, it wasn't that far, and it wasn't an adventure. But I just remember the sense of like being in a place where it really felt like we were supposed to be there having a good time. You don't really process it because your dad's job doesn't change. Right. He's still an attorney, so you don't understand what the difference is. But in the blink of an eye, I just remember everything changing and not really truly fully understanding what it meant until later on that year, we walked into a house where every five kids and suddenly we went from having four boys in one room with one girl in her own room. And the girl's bedroom is actually an office that has been transformed into a girl's bedroom. And we suddenly moved into a two-story, four-level, split-level house when suddenly the two youngest boys in one room together but my brother and I having separate rooms and my sister having a separate room usually you kind of slow walk to that place and I just remember that vacation so intensely because the idea that it was like going there my aunt Mikey would take us to her country club but we could never afford that stuff and we would never order things because we didn't want my dad paper and suddenly like going to Broadmoor being told get what you want 
and that sense of get what you want and have a good time is a vacation that always has stayed with me. And I remember, you know how any time that money is tight and there are a lot of kids, people are worried about how they're going to make ends meet, is that kids can feel the tension in the house. Sure. Even if it's a tension of love, even if it's people just struggling to make ends meet, and love each other. And I remember at that Broadmoor vacation, seeing my mom and dad actually relaxed was really? like one of the great joys of that vacation. That's a fabulous story. And Paul, what was the line that you said about? I wasn't raised poor, but I got to it as quickly as I could as an adult. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and I feel very fortunate in my life that my dad had a good job at 3M and 3M recognized that he was very talented and asked him to come to Minnesota and that opened up other opportunities for him. Much like what Jimmy described, you get an opportunity. That's where we got a chance to do this amazing trip because if you're on the road for 20 days with five people and you're in a hotel every night and the only wow. place that we weren't in a hotel was cabins out in Yellowstone. I can't even think about what that would cost in today's dollars. It's just not possible. And to Jimmy's point of a appreciation. My mother had two other sisters and they each had families. Her older sister had six kids. Her younger sister had three and there were three kids in our family. So there were 12 grandchildren, cousins that would get together and we used to go to Sarasota, Florida. Well, then my dad got this opportunity to buy this piece of lake property outside Chattanooga. If he was to buy that property today, he couldn't afford it, but it was like $2,000 cash for 200 feet of lakefront property and two and a half acres. And he builds a house on it. So we got a place on the lake. So we've got this place on the lake and then all of a sudden we're not going to Florida anymore. We're going to the lake and we're spending a week there and that's where get up at seven in the morning. But the whole point of going to Florida with my cousins was that family could spend time together. Having the lake property, we were able to spend more time together and each family got a week to themselves up there. And then my dad would take all his vacation in the summer and we would take like four weeks and spend four weeks in the summer where we were at the lake house. When I hear what Jimmy's sharing and when I think about how fortunate I was as a kid to have those experiences and just have that time to not worry about stuff. And I think about what our listeners are doing right now is hard work. It's a lifestyle. Paul, you're out there pounding it right now. You're making a run from Idaho to Ohio. You don't get time to take a breath too often. And that's what I loved about your show today, Jimmy, was the fact that it was a reminder. Take some time. Yeah, I mean, it's such an important thing. I just feel like we talk about it on Highway to Health. We talk about it over the course of the week. I've always felt one of the projects that we're engaged in here on this moment, on the weekend show, and the stuff that Paul and I have talked about over at Matt, the stuff that you and I have talked about, is I feel like that there is, of course, a real kind of concerted effort to make sure the men and women who drive for a living understand their right and the parameters of which they can operate within the hours of service and their ELD providers and the rules of regulation. And I do feel like, and it's very hopeful, despite Kevin Rutherford's leaving the channel, that there are a number of people from beginning to end who are deeply focused with a deep concern for the health of the men and women on the road in regards to diet, in regards to giving them options. Our friends over at TA Petro, if you go to their truck stops, they have a lot of options for people who don't want to eat just garbage. I feel like the one place that we don't focus on enough is to remind these men and women to take moments 
to really kind of take a moment to breathe, take a moment to pray, take a moment to meditate, take a moment to appreciate when they're doing something fun. I love the phone call. Georgia Mike, I believe it was, always using the 34 hours to go play golf. No, seat cover chaser, sorry. The truck driver that I think survives the longest is he or she that understands that scheduling those moments of just contentment, to schedule at least a moment to kind of reflect on what's good and to have a moment of peace as part of their schedule are the people that actually survive the most. Paul, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree fully. I had a good friend right here where I work now. He never took a vacation, always cashed it out. He was always one of the big earners and took a lot of pride in that. He's on disability now. I mean, if someone's paying you to go on vacation and you just take the money, I think we're just all allotted a certain amount of miles. Honest to God, I hope to be trucking when I'm 80, just not every week, maybe 10, 15 weeks a year. I mean, I've seen people do this and it's because I think we're only allotted so much work time in our lives. And if we try to go get it all now, I think we flame out. In the last two years, all of my closest friends in this trucking world have died. And they all died in their mid-60s. And the last one I actually saw on his deathbed the day before he died. He told me, get the hell out of trucking, Paul, before it kills you like it killed me. And I could not fully honor his request because I don't want to completely get out. But just taking my wife to Idaho and seeing the West through her eyes for the first time, it was really wonderful. I wouldn't trade that for anything. Paul, I wanted to tell you that it seems like what you just said is important because we have some great callers who remind people we have a lot of old timers who love the new technology and the ones who love the new technology are the ones who consistently tell me that it's just one more tool that I've learned to incorporate to make my journeys on the road that much easier and safer I think in a lot of ways what you just said is kind of the spiritual version of that it's okay to stay behind the wheel of the truck if you're doing it because you can't wait to get behind the wheel of a truck but if you're doing it because you think you have to get behind the wheel of a truck at some point maybe you ought to rethink what you're doing i think in a lot of ways if you can associate the truck with showing your wife the west then the truck is a wonderful thing you know what i'm saying if the truck is a tool to get the little bit of extra money and to show people the west and to go play music for people then the trucking is a wonderful thing it becomes a tool by which you're able to live your best life and i think your friends warn you more about get out of trucking get out of the toxic relationships that often develop between people and the people they work for get out of the idea that you have to be there so i think in many ways you may actually be honoring your friend's request absolutely he was that guy he was johnny on the spot so i'm a recovering johnny on the spot i pride myself as being a mediocre truck driver i don't want to be number one i don't want to be the guy that dispatcher drinks with i don't want to be captain save the day okay i've done that and it's a dead end by the way can i just say before i forget this i wanted to share with you both my most genuine laugh this morning came when the guy said people ask me my sign and i give them the finger yes I just <laughs> that, that was great. awesome that was a great moment i wanted to read you something i wrote that i wrote for this show and i'm really proud of it and it's also because you read enough famous people's quotes and you end up having them kind of percolate through you and you kind of play with them and this is kind of my feeling on the whole thing don't let the hand with the plan tell you where you have to be when you're where you want to be and i think really in a lot of ways Paul that's exactly it with your friend's tragedy 
And it's a tragedy. I always make the joke when I meet an asshole, somebody who really behaves badly. And I keep myself in check and they'll leave and I'll turn to Claire and I'll go, what a gift he was. <laughs> and it really is a gift because it's like one of those things where you say, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be that guy. That's one thing when they're an asshole. It's another thing when you love somebody and they end up, the last gift they can give you is a warning. By the way, guys, if I ever on my deathbed, I promise you, here are my last words. You ready? There's 50000 dollars in cash buried in the backyard right next to the there you go. Yeah, right. It's a bad, 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 world, and it's a bad day at BlackRock. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, I've got a thought to put on top of what we were just talking about here. About two years into my work in trucking, and I was starting to learn the industry, learn about professional drivers, truly appreciate the lifestyle. One of the executives of the company I worked with had a heart attack, was able to survive it. He had a quadruple bypass. <laughs> It was maybe a year after that, we were at some meeting in downtown Chattanooga and we walked out of the meeting and this guy who was like a total type A personality just driving that gotta be there gotta do this it's a time definite business you gotta make it happen I'm walking out with him and it's the springtime and the dogwood tree had bloomed and he stopped and he said well would you look at that and we sat there and admired the beauty of a dogwood tree with a guy that a year before that he would have walked right past it so my point being is that when life presents you opportunities, whether you're on the road, whatever you're doing, Jim, to your point on vacation, to have a bit of a plan, yes, to unwind, but essentially to appreciate the moments, to find a moment, to find a nice sundown on a beach or seeing the sunrise over the mountains or something like that. To appreciate those moments can give you such a feeling of peace that even if you're not on vacation, it can be helpful in your day. I think that is an absolutely terrific place to end this thing. Couldn't have landed the plane better myself. A big thanks to our friend Long Haul Paul. Greg Thompson, as always, for hosting us and making this all happen. Guys, you go to the Pod Wheels Powered by Radio Nemo app, of course, and check all this out. Don't forget that we are on the air every morning, 365 days a year over on Radio Nemo of North America. And I'm just so thrilled to be here with a couple of great friends. Thank you both, guys. Great to be here. Thanks, man. Well, hey, I want to say that I truly dig your first installment of Snake train. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Hey, give to the Indiegogo campaign. And give to the Indiegogo campaign. And I need to do that as well. Thanks for spending part of your day with us on the Exit Ramp, a podcast from Podwheels powered by Radio Nemo. Before we close out this edition of the podcast, we would like to invite you to stay connected with the latest from Podwheels powered by Radio Nemo by downloading our smartphone app. You can start using the Podwheels app by accessing the download menu option on our podwheels.net website or by searching Podwheels in the Apple Store or on Google Play. Finally, folks, be sure to check back with us right here for the latest episode of The Exit Ramp from Podwheels powered by Radio Nemo.